0: Welcome back to the Nightlife Podcast, Season Four, Episode Ten, guys. All right, so this is an episode that has been, um, you know, there's a lot of people asking to for me to talk to this guy for a while since the beginning. People that have known me for for a long time, um, people that are from Miami, people that are in the industry, um, and it's basically somebody who who I've seen from different sides of the equation. Um, I, I started basically uh, from watching what he was doing at the beginning and copying some of it and trying to do some things better. Um, not sure I was able to or have been able to, uh, but this guy is a legend in the nightlife industry here, in Miami. At least when it comes to the Latin community—Colombian, um, Venezuelan, Cuban—you know, you name it. So. He is a club owner who I have also competed with. You know, I tried to copy at some point. I competed, you know, with uh, later, and then we worked together. And now I can actually call him uh, my friend. So without further ado, Aurelio Rodriguez. How are you, my friend?
1: Great, man. Great to be here. Dude. Thank you for inviting me on.
0: And let me tell you one thing, uh, first of all, I uh, I started doing this, this uh, podcast o- almost two years ago, you know, and uh, every week after every episode that comes out, there's a certain amount of people that send me messages asking for people that they would like to see, and since day one, you are one of those people that people in Miami especially want to hear about, and they always ask. Um, as a matter of fact, some people, um, I mean, because I guess most of our, 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 our viewers don't know the history, you know, um, but that's one of the reasons. Everybody's kind of like, you know, oh, man, do you even talk to the guy? Do you even know where he is? Do you know what's up with his life or whatever. So wow, let, let's let's cool. you know, let, I wanted to, to mention that. Definitely. Um, so you are somebody because,
1: that's because, because there's a lot of new generations, right?
0: Oh, 100 percent. Let me tell you that that's one of the
1: continued you kept doing this for a while so that's yeah it's surprising it's been it's Good
0: been a, it's been a it's been a while definitely um aurelio yeah. why don't why don't we start there why don't you tell people a little bit about um who you are where wh- when you were involved in the industry you know what you did etc <laughs> yeah, it's a long,
1: it was a lot of fun so i don't know where to start man you
0: know let's um, start so let's start here where how did you end up in it how did you end up getting into it
1: so I mean, all my life, I've liked to go out and I've always uh, enjoyed the club scene. And then, uh, towards the end of the nineties, I got into modeling all right. and the modeling industry was in South beach, you know, which is surrounded with clubs. I mean, those were the early days, right? Yeah. Late nineties, I'm not nineties, the late eighties, uh, but nevertheless, that's you know, when I had the most exposure and that's where the industry was. And then, um, but I was going to school. I was, uh, you know, my thing was finance. I was going to UM and doing my, uh, doing what every Cuban boy does, which is go to school and study business. Right. Uh, Undecided, you know, undecided uh, Cuban boy. And then, so, and then in 1992, my dad passed away. Correct. And I just graduated from UM, and uh, I was still doing the modeling thing. So my dad had passed away and, it was. They had a little, co- a little coffee shop uh, where the kowaija is now. Right. 107th and 25th. Back then, there was, there was nothing there. Right. So, you know, when he passed away, uh, we had those properties. The idea was to kind of like go in there, and uh, put it up to date, and then just kind of rent it as a little, you know, a little country shack out in undeveloped date, right, on up in 107. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, so one thing led to another, and uh, and I and I started doing that right. And at the same time, I would uh, I would also you know go to New York for weeks and then come back. And during this six month to one year period, and uh, during that period, I there was since there was no businesses in that area. Um, the people from Univision, because Univision did have its headquarters out there, close by, and, right? And now, it's like in the middle of Doral, back then, again. Univision had built their massive headquarters at, you know, at the very edge of Doral. Right. So when they would go to lunch, they would stop by Lagocha. Right. So they started establishing relationships and stuff with, with the people of, of Univision and, and, you know, camera people, like talent and whatnot. And, um, I would actually kind of like leverage the whole modeling thing and they, they would keep coming back and, you know, we established a friendship and stuff like that. And, um, we had an old jukebox, we had an old jukebox in the place. And um, it just kind of like evolved very organically that right. they would some Fridays after work for like an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, just to have a beer, keep talking, you know, shooting the shit and, um, and putting music, you know, putting quarters in the jukebox. And after a couple of beers with maybe one or two people would start dancing in this little, hmm. I don't know, it might- 20 by 20, with was a very small, uh, the original, uh, uh, Watch. Watcher, Yeah. And, um, and that's how it, that's sort of what gave me, you know, the insight into hey, there's something here, but it, this, you know, taking it serious wasn't part of the deal at that moment. Right. And, uh, you know, I was still doing, you know, I thought maybe acting would come after modeling and whatnot. So my mind wasn't there yet. What,
0: what age are we talking here? Really?
1: I was 22. My dad passed away. I was 22, 1989.
0: All right, hmm. you know my father used to be a client, actually, of that little <laughs> cafe. He used to stop to have coffee, and he, and he, I remember him mentioning something about being the coldest beer. Uh, uh, there was something about that corner, and going to have a beer there, and they had the coldest beer there. <laughs>
1: that's a that's a great point, which mm-hmm. that was that was the trade secret, uh, also. Of, hmm. uh, of of the place, the coldest beer, right? We actually did have an ice cream freezer that we would load up with uh, with the cases of the Budweisers, and when you pulled them out, they would be all frosty white. Nice. So that was nice. kind of like uh, the coldest beer in town right. was a tagline at that time, and, and you're right, that was the one of the draws. Right. Um, yeah. Also, that made it interesting. That's so, cool. uh, yeah. so yeah, listen. So that was what, like maybe by 1991. Uh, of trying, of doing this, I I had a potential buyer. This was like the pivoting, the turning point. After about a year and change of kind of like, you know, getting it going and trying to establish a little something that we could flip to a a potential buyer. We had a buyer, we had a buyer and, uh, you know, we had negotiated everything, the lease, the sale, whatnot, and the day of the, I mean, I spent money on, on attorneys and everything. And the day of the closing, the guy disappeared. And, we, you know, we would call and uh, we would beep him because about that time there was no cell phone. I think we were right. beeping him and he wouldn't call. Anyways, we got a call a day later from a friend saying, listen, um, we're, we're, you know, uh, so-and-so, can't remember his name, told me to call you and share with you that, you know, he bought another business in the beach and he won't be buying yours. And I was so insulted and so angry, right? Yeah. That, uh, that somebody could be so informal that I was like, you know what, fuck this. I'm going to teach this, you know, I'm like, you know, right? You know, oh, man. <laughs> you know it's yeah, crazy.
0: Man. It's crazy how many people, Aurelio, how many people actually get into this industry because of some small little thing like that. You know, <laughs> that yeah, ticks them off or whatever. But but you are so close. Always, you know, when you when you actually enjoy this lifestyle or whatever, you are always so close. You know, to to getting in it. You know what I mean? It's just a little push yeah. needed, right?
1: Yeah. So well, that was a push that committed okay you know it's the commitment push i mean a, a year had passed already and to be honest with you um i was kind of like already like, like i always when i do business or something uh i like to to i like to see what i do is i'll see who's the most successful player in the space that i'm in who's the who's the king who's the you know who's the guy right and i'll see how good he's doing and that, to me, is your maximum potential, right? Correct. And I remember that I was like, all right, so uh, this guy, I think his name was Britt Bradford. He was the guy. He was like an obsession. He was doing Calvin Klein. He was doing all these things. But he wasn't rolling in the dough. He was doing good, right? Right. But for guys back in that time, he wasn't rolling in the dough. So I was like, is this really what I want to do, you know? Right. So, you know, I remember utilizing that thinking and and then this opportunity with when this guy kind of uh, – um, uh, uh, you know, pulled back on the deal. And I said, you know what? Let me keep running with this. And that was kind of a turning point. And then it was just a matter of months before I called my agent one day. And I'm like, hey, you know, listen, don't call me no more for things. I'm kind of over it. I'm taking a break. Okay. And I'm going to focus on this. And I remember, that's when I put it into overdrive. Yeah. That's, I remember, you know, like, in that time, you know, taking the initiative to start, put, you know, getting that little jukebox. And right. now I, you know, I had some speakers wired to the back. You know, I remember, you know, <laughs> Planning out like a piece of concrete I can lay out in
0: the back, and For, then, and then I, I before before you go into the the middle of the story and the Jews of the different things that have happened or whatever, I want to give a little context to to those who are not you know from Miami or haven't been or or aren't into the Latin community or crowd or whatever. Um, how long was La Covacha and around wh- you know with you, you or your sister and your family in general?
1: Yeah, Laguache from from day i mean it's still around i mean it's it, it right. currently uh there's some not in its original incarnation right uh the kawacha incarnation was about a 27 28 year run 28 year 27 year run right uh, from 1989 till about till we sold it in 2012.
0: All right. so and the
1: operator from 2012 to 2018 Ran it as a watcher, but really did a, a did a very bad job. Right. And he ran it to the ground. And then, since we're the owners of the venue, we we, we you know we brought in another owner. So the Kawacha incarnation under our administration was what 89, 99, 2009. So uh, yeah, it's almost
0: 20, almost three almost three decades. man. Right? Two and a half decades. That's a long run. Anybody in the industry understands that that's very hard to do.
1: It was a long run. I mean, people
0: people talk about, for example, I mean, I'm gonna go with something completely opposite, but people talk about Studio 54, and it was something that was around for two years. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Studio
1: 54. Yeah, they had legal problems, and of course, you know, they reopened up when they got out of jail, I think, something like that. But, right. Uh, Let me ask oh, you one yeah. question. What
0: is the one thing that you miss the most? Because you haven't been in in it, uh, you know, for a couple of years, a few years what is the one thing from that lifestyle or the nightlife or whatever that you miss the most?
1: Well, I, I had a lot of, uh, I mean, there was a lot of things happening at that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the old, that was one of the few, you know, it's, Miami, you know, was very different back in that time. Right. There weren't many options. So, uh, it was a very, very popular club. It opened up a lot of doors to other business opportunities. It opened up a lot of doors to meeting a lot of uh, a lot of interesting people mm-hmm. and a lot of important people. Also, um, it, it, it created a foundation, a business foundation for, you know, that I used as a as a as a springboard to other, uh, you know, greater uh, opportunities. And um, and from a selfish, from an egotistical point of view, being young, being in your prime, you uh, having that background of modeling still resonating from some of the work and campaigns it was uh it was it was fun being single and uh being able to meet uh, a lot of uh
0: (laughs) right people yeah so definitely (laughs) probably the one thing that that uh your wife doesn't miss from it Mm. Oh,
1: she doesn't miss. She doesn't miss me coming home late. I mean, right, you know? right, right,
0: right, right.
1: were. Listen, those were grueling hours, man. It was. Uh, I mean, I slept there practically. I would leave on a Friday when the, the, it was a small operation in the early days. Right. So I would let you know. I would be. I'd close shop, count money. Uh, before I had a full-time manager, you know, count money. I'd leave at three or three thirty right. to be back at seven.
0: Right. To right.
1: you know to reopen because this wasn't it wasn't a club. Right. This was a cafe, a cafeteria. Correct. So you had to be open basically at six thirty in the morning, not on Saturdays. That's why Saturdays I said seven. Um you had to be open in the morning to serve the pastelitos, the Hmm. cafe con leche, and then that would roll into lunch. And then that would roll into like an afternoon uh, di- now I won't call it dinner, but afternoon snacks for people that would come, have right. beer, and then it would evolve into the nighttime. To which,
0: which, by the way, you had one of the longest and, and and better known happy hours on Friday night for a long time.
1: I, I, exactly. How the how happy-
0: how important was that for the for the the whole business in general? You know, I
1: think that was the core, man. That was the anchor of the business. The happy hour really was. Uh, it was like the numbers were before happy hour and after a happy hour and happy hour but that was like right. you know the yeah that was the core um uh, anchor of, of the of, of the success of the club the, and um uh, i saw an opportunity what what really got it going besides the cold beers that that contributed a lot uh i the the, the Polar beer, which is a beer, which is the it's like the the Budweiser of the Venezuelan community. Correct. Uh, They were they just started importing to Miami, and coincidentally, one of the one of the reps stopped by my my uh, club that one one afternoon or whatnot, started talking, and I said, sure, you know, I would love to carry your beer, and he he had this like thirty foot polar bottle. I'm not kidding. This was probably the biggest inflatable bottle that you know that you don't even see these in the music festivals this was the biggest and i remember putting that he, he 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 let me have it you know for 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 the time being that i was you know for promotion and i would use that and i would put it on the on the roof of the club right and you see this thing from like you know i'm not gonna say miles but right, you right see far away. away you remember
0: right definitely and,
1: yeah and that was that was like you know that was like lighter fluid i the mean album.
0: people people that don't that aren't for me again the uh this area is is populated by venezuelans uh which yeah. is where this beer is from um so it definitely caught people's attention because um i i mean I, one of the things i remember and, and by the way you are married to a venezuelan now you know but um yeah. back in the day i remember people talking about uh everybody was like everybody would talk about this this guy aurelio 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 aurelio, aurelio you know because it was one of those things that they you had to get to know the owner to go to a place or whatever. Everybody wanted to be friends with the owner, right? Um, and then, but with Aurelio, there was this thing that a lot of people would actually be like, no, he's Colombian. No, 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 he's Venezuelan. No, no, no. And a lot of yeah. them, you know, like, no, 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 he's actually Cuban. So yeah, yeah. It, it kind of worked for everybody in a way.
1: That did. Yeah, no, 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 that happened a lot. A lot of people that didn't know would, would assume that, you know, that I was Venezuelan, right? right or that was colombian if it was during a colombian period because the garage right. evolved right
0: you know
1: um, you could say that the 90s period although it was the, the day-to-day because of the doral was venezuela, venezuela. That was a the, it was the filler it right. was the filler but we had a run in the 90s of mainstream uh, uh hipster miami right uh, you know the Miami College scene, right. you know, during the 90s, mid 90s, 95, 96, 97, 98. This is all pre bricko pre winwood You yeah. had a little bit of Coconut Grove. Right. You had a little bit. You know, you had some in the beach. You did, and um, and maybe one or two in Kendall. Right. So there was no alternative. And as far as Latin was concerned, nobody was doing Latin. We were, you know, we were doing Latin. Along later came you guys, but in the right. early days, um uh our, that was our different besides the beer it later became our music the differentiator
0: 100 percent. In the early days,
1: if you wanted to dance latin music you had to go to these uh your grandparents
0: uh type of any e street
1: you know was like you literally you know you, there was a place called Las cascadas cascade and you would right. go there and have like 60 70 year <laughs> old uh, uh people uh, um right. with in a spanish club so there was no alternative.
0: You know what the, what what I think was also a, a, an amazing thing was cuz you talk about this venue it, it was it was really nothing you know for, at the beginning you know like like you said it was a cafeteria <laughs> that became yeah. this you know this thing and and yes you made it look better you know with time or, and everything sure. but I think nothing made it look better than the people that you had in it you know what I mean I think the crowd was the secret
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I, like I said, I was coming from the, the Miami Beach scene because right. of the modeling. So I had, you know, I had that M.O., that formula that, that was used over there. Right? right. And I really had a, I, you know, not even over there, a lot of times you do it uh, sort of just to kind of play the game, you know, to seem like it's important. I kind of I literally had to do that. Right? right. Since I was on the edge of town and there was a lot of development. There was even a there was a huge horse stable with like a hundred horses and and owners. So if I wasn't careful, um, you know, you'd have guys with cowboy boots coming in and <laughs> and you'd have uh, construction workers showing up after work right. because there was just so much happening there. So I literally had to, you know, set a set a, set some guidelines right. of uh, after happy hour, you know, how you you know, somewhat of a dress code to come in, right? to keep a little law and order in the place and, you know, keep it, uh, you know, a lot of people talk that it was worse than it it was, but you know, like, I mean,
0: with, with, with the years, definitely. I mean, but, but it definitely at the beginning, it started at at a great, you know, great quality. And I think also a hard thing to do was, was to make it where after it became maybe not so good because you have some, you know, you have a lifespan or whatever. It was brought up a few times. I remember at a time when, when like Guys like Ronald Rip, shout out to them, Ronald and uh, Alejandro Lazardi, who was with you uh, for a long time. Uh, you know, brought back to Friday Night to a nice crowd again, um, yeah. and, and different different things, different people.
1: That's yeah. Look, like you said, right? There is a life cycle, right? Right. There, uh, there, there you know, these clubs have uh, have cycles. Um, some don't. Some mm-hmm. have, some get away with not having it. Right. Um, I, I I know that you know, like I know my life cycle. I remember it was the nineties was mainstream uh mainstream miami f- with Venezuelan filler right mm-hmm. and then all the competition starting opening up Wynwood, miami beach all that and that one would, uh brickell and whatnot right so it's time to reinvent part of that is got to bite the bullet for at least a year year and a half you know you right. you 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 you've got to make a conscious purposeful decision to let it kind of get die out a bit. right you don't want to turn lights off you don't want to turn the lights off but you, 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 underexpose yourself. Correct. Cause you can, there's a thing, you know, you get over, there's points that you overexpose yourself. True. You know, you, you run real hot, you run real hot. Then like how much more exposure can you get after that's when you burn out. Right. Right. So you, you know, at least that's the way I did it. You know, I would, pre, I would kind of pace it, run it up. And then I, and then, you know, competition pops up. So I knew, oh, right. know, the time's coming where I'm going to have to just ramp down, re- redo a new team, right? new target market. And, um, and that's, and, and that, and this happened, this new cycle, uh, happened in 1999, okay. I read reconstruction in 97, 1998, 98, 99. So we had two slow years. People right. kind of forgot a little bit about, about the club loaded up with new promoters. And then we really, this time we went really hard towards the Venezuela market. Right. And then, you know, it got, it got reestablished as, you know, Venezuelan, uh, go to place. Right.
0: Let me ask you something. Uh, uh, by the way, when he says Venezuelan, it was a high, you know, high class yeah. In Venezuelan. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. No, no, wonderful crowd. I um, loved it, man. I mean, I, I remember also the fact that you would always run into actors, actresses, you know, w- well-known people uh, from the community. Definitely over there. Um, so it, there's good, a lot of good memories for for everybody. Yeah, um, is, Aurelio, how important was the the live music, and when did you make that decision of not being just a regular club with a DJ and have that? you know extra. So
1: the first concert that we did was Los Pericos mm-hmm. and um, I won't take credit for that one. I had this friend, this guy Jose Camilo, Jose. Yeah. And he came to me and he goes, oh man, this is a great place. It's his parking lot. Um, this is a great place to set up a stage. And I'm like, you think? Uh, and he's like, yeah, I can fill. you know, I can really fill this place up. And I'm like, okay. And he mentioned this group, it was an, an Argentinian group, Yeah. which a lot of overlap with Colombians and mm-hmm. with Venezuelans. Mainly Venezuela. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Everybody loved Lopenico, even though they were from Argentina, it was reggae music. Right. So uh, we worked together on this, I said, let's give it a shot. Set up this huge outdoor stage. And um we put you know for that concert we put in uh like about easily twenty eight hundred. It was you know, it was like the biggest event ever in the early nineties, right? Right. That kind of gave me an insight into the potential, and uh, you know, to to live entertainment on a big scale. You know, you it's like 10x your numbers, right? Right. If you're doing, you know, X amount, this just takes you to another level. Right. So, so that was it. So that was it. I saw that opportunity, and the beauty thing, the beautiful thing about it was nobody else was doing it. Right. There was no venue, you know. It really, you know, the the club became a real go-to place. Mm-hmm. for the 1000 to 3000 uh patron uh, uh live music venue definitely other and you had to go to the big uh, venues out of Miami the Correct. theaters um you know so and that's not you know a lot there's a lot of bands that are starting and they can't aspire to play in those places
0: still at so this we- you know after so many years still there's no other Venue where you can actually do that kind of you know event, especially due to the investment nowadays. Bands are not what they used to. Meaning price, what they what they what they're charging nowadays, especially yeah. because nowadays it's more reggaeton only and reggaeton artists. One good song, boom! Right away they go into the thirty thousands. Yeah, yeah, Back in the day, I remember you doing you know artists like Los Pericos, for example, for like twelve grand or eight grand or whatever. You know, yeah.
1: those were different days, man. You know, and. Uh, yeah, and Latin artists basically wanted to break into the Spanish market, the Latin market, and they had to do a live venue, right? Right. You know, live concert, because um, they were breaking into the radios. So, you know, I was the only option. So I was able to benefit right. from that with pricing, you know. Yeah. I was able to get real, you know, I was able to, you know, to uh, negotiate very good prices and uh, it took off a lot of, you know, a lot of the risk.
0: Right. So, so those are. Two of the factors. I'm I'm always teaching the people, especially you know my students and people and that listen to the podcast and everything. When it comes to live events at at the clubs per se, those two factors for me are are the most important. Number one is how you know the the cost of those bands. When you know depending on what you know how the value, who's paying for it? Of course, Is, is the venue paying or or is the producer the promoter paying for it? And what is the capacity? Because a lot of times they go into doing one of these bands at a venue that holds 500 people and there's no way to make money on that, you know?
1: Yeah, you really can. And I mean, you're being, I think you're just being generous thinking about the band cost. when, you know, when you start factoring the marketing costs, the production costs, travel, I mean, there's so many other little intangibles that people don't think of Right. and it's, it's, it's a tough business, man. You know, you can, uh, you can take a
0: bath. You know what yeah. brings me to to the, how important it was for La Covacha itself? I, there's one ad that I would never forget. I don't, I don't know if it was a paid ad or if it was given to you, um, but there was a newspaper for Colombians, uh, El Colusa, remember? guy yeah, sure. Gabriel and, and Silvana. Sure. And um, the, you always had, you know, and I remember back in the day when we were doing Carnaval de Barranquilla, our, our, it was, we were always competing for that cover for that. I stole that playbook from Exactly. Him. So that, that was like from my, my city direct. But anyway, with that one. Um, I
1: learned I stole that playbook. From oh, uh, 100%. 100%. the first time. I Barranquilla. Right. And I figured, let me try to do it bigger and better. You know? right. Let me try. Let me try. Exactly. But I learned that from I saw what you guys did. You time. know what?
0: You know what's crazy? That we actually had one carnaval that we did on the same night. And we both had almost 3,000 people on each event. It was crazy. We,
1: both well, killed it. It <laughs> was coming back, people would leave from mine to yours and back. How was it? how was uh how, how was it No, it was Oh a pack.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to the full pack. Right. Was that Crazy. Thing, huh? But the newspaper ad that they had, it was at the end of the year and El Colusa had a big full page on all the concerts that had been at La Coacha that year. You know? Right, I, I, sure. I I can't forget that and I remember and, and reading through all of them, whatever, I'm like, number one, how is this guy affording all of these things? <laughs> sure. um and 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 i was just like man I, I would have never thought of doing an ad just to remind everybody look at all the shit that i had <laughs>
1: sure, the, run, the run that we've had yeah 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 oh, de Leon, i mean i'm gonna go back to that time frame and i'll think of the big heavy hitter right Astra de Leon. right uh, uh the, the colombian that passed away joe
0: arroyo definitely yeah uh,
1: joe arroyo yeah uh you know we managed to get him We managed to get them there, and that for that was huge.
0: Yeah, Joe. That was
1: a huge win, and um, and others, right? That I can't think. Oh of yeah, about. no,
0: I remember. I mean, it was a full page of just names of artists and artists and artists in in different genres, different genres, in
1: different know, genres, so. absolutely. So it was a good. Yeah, idea. no. Look, there was a the, there was also a promote. Uh, I don't remember Cardenas Fernandez.
0: Yeah, they were
1: a very big uh, Hispanic concert promoting. Uh, uh, team organization. I mean, before
0: before becoming CMN.
1: Before no, actually, actually we're ready. during that time. Okay. So what they would do is before they brought an artist, I established a relationship with uh, Jorge, Jorge. Daniel, right. uh The leads for that big outfit, and they used my basically my my venue like a lab. Right. So they would bring in the artists. They were like, listen, man, we don't want to make money. We just want to see the the response. Consider this a focus group,
0: right? To see
1: focus group like to see how this artist reacts, how they play, and and whatnot. And so I had another. That was like another little run that I that I had. This funnel of top tier up and coming artists, right? That I would take advantage of and put them on stage, and you know before they broke out. Mm-hmm. Like we one them. Oh yeah. that from another, that one came from somebody else. Right. But it, you know, sort of that time frame.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. No, there Just was a it was it was different i mean definitely the, the the artists like you mentioned those and i i can remember what we used to pay for those artists compared to what anybody asks now you know the last time i was able to hire for example jay balbing we paid him 30 grand we um, actually you know what we did um um that's an, another big one nikki jam at la Covacha, <laughs> uh, together with a bunch of different um companies we we joined uh, uh robin the cubans and, and other other right. gangs um, so it was it was huge. Also, over three thousand people at that event. It was crazy. Also, but yeah. But what I'm saying is, all those artists, we were able to get him at thirty thousand, thirty-five thousand dollars or so, compared yeah. to, for example, Joe Arroyo, who I used to pay twelve grand to, <laughs> and sure. he would bring the same amount of people. Um, you know, and sometimes in liquor, it would be more sales, even you know. So sure. sure. It, there was it was a.
1: crowd that the artist pulled? You know. Definitely. In fact, I and mean, a lot of times you had an you had an artist. That was overpriced, but yeah. you knew that the, the that the target market was yeah. the kind that would sit down and order three, four, five bottles throughout the night. Right. So you would have a lost leader in your production, right? Is because you knew that you would double double down on the liquor sales, right? And make for that gap. So uh, what? So, you know, these are things and I, and I say this so that your listeners that are mm-hmm. in production and whatnot kind of like. You know, there's ways to look at this. Another thing is, a lot of time when you're at the early in the early days, you weren't getting sponsors. If you don't have a reputation, and you don't, and you you still haven't established credibility, it's hard to go to a sponsor and ask for a $20, $30, forty forty thousand dollar a sponsorship. Right, right. To help you out, so you really had to pocket it out of this because part of the formula that carries you, part of the carry is is the sponsor. Right, you know. These are the guys that help you, you know, uh, get to the finish line, you know, so that you don't have to run with all the risk. Right. The only thing is you have that. You know, who right. are you?
0: Definitely. You give money? Mm. Definitely. What was, so, you know, if, if, if you can think of the top of your head, the biggest mistake you ever made that you felt like, I shouldn't have done that. You know, it, it could, in the nightlife, it doesn't have to be a concert or whatever, but in general. Besides getting in it. <laughs>
1: What was the question, I
0: guess? Biggest mistake you made in the industry, something that that you did either of an event or a decision you made that you felt, oh, man, I I should have not gone that route 100%. Or was it that perfect?
1: I'll keep thinking about it. All right. Keep All right. About it. Well, there's a bunch of little, there's a lot of shit. I blew it. I shouldn't have, this is not, the, this was, but I never had a night that I can remember this morning. Right, 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 right. No, nothing's jumping I mean yet. it wasn't
0: it wasn't that big then you know what I mean I mean yeah that definitely I we had one carnival for example that we were gonna go not head-to-head with you that year it's just that uh, the venue we had in Kibbe remember we uh that venue was closed it was sold and we left and we had to find a venue and we the venue that we found was in Doral as well very close to you so we became okay. we became pep, yeah exactly so right. um i don't remember what the actual name was then it was soccer 7 or something it was just a a soccer field or whatever right. so we went to do the event there and uh we were told there was one issue with one permit that was not going to permit music live music at the end or whatever or during the event or whatever but the owner said uh george i remember said just you know, don't worry, I got it taken care of, it's fine, everything is good. That event, we ended up having almost 4,000 people and we ended up having to return the money to most of the people <laughs> because we at we opened at 8 o'clock and at 8.01, we had every entity that could close us right there <laughs> asking, sure. asking for this permit and they closed the event but they couldn't close the whole thing i don't know if you remember this venue but it had a, a an in, indoor part that they could sell liquor and have music there yeah. they could yeah. not the permit that we didn't have was for the live music outdoor outside. yeah yeah right. i
1: remember somewhat i remember right. a little bit so, and so you guys probably thought i sent the cops
0: oh we blamed it on you 100 for like the next five years and and then we um so the point is this we had to turn off the music outside but the bands that were there, everybody, we had like eight bands playing that day. Like we invested a lot of money on that event. And um, and they decided, you know what, we're not going to go. We're going to play with, you know, no sound or whatever, just acapella, acapella here with with the people. And they just started little groups in different areas, in different soccer fields. There was a lot of people, even though we did not make money, we lost like 50 grand that day. But which for promoters, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's a, not good at all. Um, special.
1: Oh, time. in general. You re- make that you couldn't invent that. Correct. You couldn't produce that. You couldn't plan that. Right. These you right. know these things that kind of just evolve and it leaves a more more lasting memory. Right. It's like one of those things that you'll never forget, right? One hundred percent. Funny, but the way it it evolved into an incredible night with a band member probably partook with everybody. And you know? I mean,
0: there's there's a lot of people I know that would have quit the industry, you know, the business right away. I, I can tell you that to me, it was just the most expensive party I've ever had. <laughs> I took it as that, you know, um, yeah. but, but, but it was not a downer in the end. You know,
1: I lost money. I've lost money in events. I did that. I mean, nothing's perfect. I never, but then I can remember. I never, I never had one of those that I, that I had to do soul searching and right. say, Am I in the business, Right. I, mean, I, I, I never had one of those. I had flops, you know, like damn all this work. And you know, and I'm lucky if I lost a couple grand, right? Right, right. But um, look, the biggest mistake is my biggest mistake wasn't an event. It was not buying the adjacent property that was next to my property, which was offered to me at at that time at a price point that, by today's standard, is ridiculous. Okay. And my and, um, and my and me wanting to allocate money to the you know to the to the present day operation instead of like looking a little bit further down the road thinking right. that that opportunity was always going to be there um mm-hmm. that's probably the biggest uh op- biggest miscalculation i did it did affect me long term even though i kind of worked around it as the place grew and expanded and expanded and i ran out of parking as right. the street got expanded parking on the street i mean i didn't have parking capacity for right. thousands of people Right so I, I was scrambling renting spending $5,000 right. to rent property across the street and seven in the other corner just right. to accommodate big events had I bought this property uh you know at a, a tenth of the price a few years earlier right. I would have c- controlled my whole destiny there so I mean I I, rem-
0: I I remember before I would go to one of our events I would drive by to just to see okay how is this guy doing today or whatever back when we were competing or and it's crazy because the way we would measure was by the parking lots. You know, we would be like, yeah, okay, I where know. are the cars today? <laughs> How far are these cars today? How far is the line? <laughs>
1: yeah, man. No, no, that was marketing. That was in its, That was the best marketing, that row of cars that yeah. went endlessly to the end of, you know, that was the best. And then when they expanded the road and you didn't have that anymore and everything was organized in right. different areas... Then you lost that excitement
0: yeah so for us it became another type of competition because we were like we'd have your your biggest night was friday and then my mine was saturday uh, during that time so it yeah. was compete competition but we were competing in a different way in that sense you know as to it wasn't the, the same crowd the same night it wasn't, it wasn't um you know in the end so but um but like well, who's yeah, doing friday. But who's got the biggest? You know what I mean. It's that was the competition. It was like who's you know. So the line. I remember people going over there to to Kibis Kane and and being oh man the the line got all the way to the to the bridge today, um, and that was like okay we're doing good you know like yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> doesn't uh, matter no. You,
1: you had that whole parking strip on on Kibis Kane and that yeah was, uh... well we
0: we were also renting out there you know some of the street and some you know across the street and you know different areas just to make sure that people were. Had some you know places to park. Um, we were not owners, you know, as uh, meaning especially landowners, which is a, another story. Um, you know, you guys being landowners, I I think that's one of the things always everybody looked at as you know these guys are not going anywhere. You know,
1: right? Look like remember, like I said, when you cycle down, you know, there's overexposing, and then when you start underexposing yourself to take a break, let people forget about you. So then when you start re-promoting. It starts mm-hmm. really re- resonating. Not everybody has the luxury of, you know, chilling out for a year, you know. Oh, definitely. You to pay rent, you know. When you got a $20,000, uh, uh, you know, uh, rent that you got to come up with every month.
0: Right.
1: Um, you can't, you, you got to run hot. You got to run on overdrive.
0: Definitely. You
1: got to, you, you can so you don't have that luxury of kind of like taking, you know, your foot off the gas for, for a couple months to chill things out, reinvent, reinvent, and then, you know, come back with a new scheme. So, yeah,
0: definitely. Definitely
1: owning the property is always a good benefit.
0: So, so I wanted to also say hello to your sister, by the way, because I know she's going to be watching this. Um, and I wanted to ask you a question. Yes. What do you say to those who are getting to this industry with their family?
1: Listen, I mean, it, 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 we didn't, she did her thing. I did mine. Right. Uh, that was over there. Really, I, I prevented overlap. You know what I'm saying? My formula was in place. I left the place operating. She came, we, we she was administrative, you know, she was doing housekeeping. And then I, I ventured off into another, into another business, into technology. You know, I actually, I saw, you know, the opportunity uh, to create a marketing platform right. that nightclub users actually use. So, you know that story. We won't get into it now. because Right. Just, on time. So when I when when I sold and I focused on that business, so it was sort of a handoff. It was a clean handoff. Right. So she was able right. to express herself and her creativity and her ideas, right? Right. In, in her own ways, right? So so if 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 you have defined roles and you're gonna work with family and the role is you know you're you're doing you're in charge of promotions and uh, you're in charge of you know the creative aspect. I'm in charge of running the books. I'm in charge of counting the money and paying the vendors. Uh, mm-hmm. Then, if your roles are defined, it, it, it could work. It could work very well. Right. If you, if you have if there's overlap in the roles, then then there's then then, then you start getting you know, uh, friction you know, uh, you start, I, I,
0: So it's good to avoid that. I mean, I, I would definitely avoid it 100% anyway. Either way, but um.
1: And, and correct. Correct. Yeah. Listen. Void, uh, uh, working with families is always a, a tough proposition. Right. Especially, uh, um, you know. Um, yeah. Look. I thought you were. I thought you, thought you, you were gonna
0: say especially Teresa. No, I'm just. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No?
1: Oh, no. 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 Look, <laughs> this, I, if you have to do it, and you don't have a choice. At least define your roles. Correct. Define Agreed. your roles. This is your job description. This is mine. I'm in charge of this. You're in charge of that. There's no overlap. My decisions don't affect yours. They right. Do, right. Obviously. By the way, a-
0: by the way, I had the opportunity. You know, I've I've had a long career myself. I had the opportunity to with to work with the venue. I had the opportunity to work after being competition to work with both of you. You know, I, I um and I can actually say you guys. First of all, you guys are extremely different uh, in the way you operate and work, whatever your energies and everything. Uh, but you are both, you know, number one, you were both, both loved the venue and the, and the business and the family business, you know, um, not even, you know, I'm not even going to comment how much everybody loved, uh, your mother, (laughs) you know, um, but, but, uh, so it was a really, really mom and pops, um, kind of business, you know, ran that way. Everybody that worked in it felt that way. Um, and our relationship, you know, with both of you was, was, um, you know, when it comes to the business uh, part of it, it, it was great. You know, because we always felt that that you guys knew what you were doing, uh, you guys knew where you were going, and again, each one w- with its own roles and 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 good and bad things. I guess you know, as as so, as do all of us <laughs> for sure.
1: I think I think and and she I mean, because the way we were raised. Mm-hmm. Right. This is a un. So, you know, she might be a little friendlier. I might be a little bit more drier, even though sometimes it doesn't look that way. Um, be, I might be a little bit, I don't know. We might have different approaches. And, but the key, I think we never fucked anybody over. You know, and I'll, get, I'll use that word freely, you know? We never, and it, you know, you did a deal with us, with me or whoever, and after, you know, after I try, I negotiate and I beat you up as much as I can, Right. right? And once it's on paper, you you know you can go to bed knowing that at the end of the day, when we count the money, you know we're gonna keep our commitments. And I think that goes for her as well as for me. And I right. think that's part of the the, the I think that has been part of the success of uh, of the club and our and our ability to bring in promoters and do cross events with other people. Because you just you knew that you weren't gonna that that whatever was negotiated was gonna be like we say in Spanish, cumplido. I don't gotta, I
0: don't I don't think. There's any way to survive 27 years if you're not that way, you know what I mean? Nobody, nobody comes back. There's only a certain group of people that end up being the ones that produce the events, the ones that sell the artists, the ones, the ones that you do business with, right? In the end, um, sure. so, so, so I agree with that. As a matter of fact, I can tell you this: you, we talked about El Carnaval de Barranquilla. It was an event that was created completely from, from, from us, as you mentioned. It was, it was an idea that we started. You know, being that we come from there. Exactly. but the moment that my carnival um did not have a venue my first choice became let me do it over there sure. <laughs> and and i had a deal with you that i made probably less money than other deals that i had but i knew for a fact that i was going to get my shit you yeah, know I mean? exactly. so you, so just-
1: a lot of times you do you go to venues and you strike deals and um in and- it could be in writing, and signed, in contract, and in the middle it gets changed. Right. And I've heard stories. Hey, listen, this is what's due to me. This is the event. And I've heard that the owner says, um, "Yeah, I, I know. I know. I said that, but I'm not. I'm losing too much money. So I'm sorry, man. Right. This right. is the what's gonna be now. That's unheard of, man. Right. You know, like you can't, you can't do. You can't do long-term business that way. Right. You know, and uh, and I always said that. I was like, listen, you can, you can same a pain in the ass, I'm I'm, uh, I'm American, I'm I'm grosero. whatever. What you you will never be able to say is that you know myself or anybody or anybody in my in my establishment you do business with is a thief. Or or right. has or has no word. Has no word. So. Right.
0: I agree. Um one one more question. Have have you thought ever of um getting into it again, meaning you know in the nightlife not at La Covacha?
1: Um, look, I have a family now. So night and I think nightclubs have changed a lot, too. Mm-hmm. I think the old formula of, you know, big box full of, uh, you know, with music. And no, I definitely wouldn't get into that. I think there's easier way there's easier, uh, easier ways to make money. So, um, I do have, a, I have I have a concept that I've been working on. Small footprint, small footprint, low overhead. And, uh, it's uh liquor and food. And wanna okay. and it's uh, and it's incubating, you know. And when the time is right, it'll be there. And if it's at the time doesn't come, it's still gonna be there. Right. And, right. Um, and that's it. You know, and and what, this like a project. It's a creative expression that I've been working on.
0: Got it. Got it's, it. Because you know, it's always there, right? You always wanna, you know. You
1: always, I think look, it's a like I I call it, for me, my club was a canvas. Right. And I'm a creative person, You're right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a creative outlet. Right.
0: It's Like
1: an artist. An artist is. Uh, an artist, you know, works on different materials, on sculpting, on canvas, right. uh, you know, with iron. So mine was this, you know, this object that right. I would hang things from. I would play with lighting. Right. And then I would see. And what is art supposed to do Invoke an emotion, right? To the viewer, to the, so I, I you know, I <laughs> I would be able to benefit right. seeing the visitors enjoy it.
0: Right. What are you doing nowadays?
1: So, so as you know, I got into I was in, I got into technology. So it was a big shift, you know. When I sold my company, I did really well with that, and part of it meant that I had to go corporate. So, you know, I, I, I went I went to work, you know, with with uh with uh, with this company out in in, in Portland, Oregon. Okay. Um, it's called Dotster, and then they got acquired by this company called Endurance International, okay. which was uh, which is GoDaddy's okay. biggest competitor which is hosting domain names and it was out in Boston with a lot of smart people They went public. So I, uh, I had that, uh, you know, I, I, w- I was wearing that corporate hat for so 2014, they went public, we had shares. then they, my, the, my, the Miami office, they consolidated everything to Boston and, uh, in Texas. So we closed that. So since 2014, I've been freelancing, you know, uh, I have some properties, and uh, you know, make you know, some short-term, some short-term projects, you could say. Got it. But nothing, no long-term commitment to any uh, big uh, startup. The kids are older too, so I don't want to take time away. Right. I like I like the flexibility of being able to do you know what I want with them whenever I want
0: to. Awesome. So um, yeah. Um. Well, one of the good things about not being in it at this moment in time is this crisis we're going through um what do you think you would be doing different than anybody else or is there anything you know
1: but for I, me this would have i have a different i have a couple opinions on this i think that it's horrible right yeah look a lot of people are a lot of people are taking a beating a lot of people are losing
0: everything right. you know not right. only
1: in the nightclub business but also in the uh, in the hospitality business in the, right. even a mom-and-pop right. restaurant right. and uh right. but at the same time i think that um, it, it forces you to evolve and rethink your game. And uh, I think, you know, the, uh, the the alfresco dining concept that kind of evolved. I mean, Miami's always been an, an outdoor dining place. Right. Just because it's Miami.
0: Now more yeah. than ever.
1: <laughs> now more than ever. Now more than ever. And it's changed a little bit of, uh, you know, it's added a couple of, uh, of different layers of, uh, of variables to it that people can take advantage of. So it, it's forced people to rethink Right. So you know, it's popular because now there's more levers to you know to push in your business. When everything opens up, now you have more levers, right? Right. It's,
0: it's,
1: you learned new little tricks, and the playbook got bigger.
0: Completely. You what know you what? Learn. And I and I keep telling people that I think that also the playing field got you know leveled. At a, also, because now it's whoever comes up with the the, the better idea of you know of, because it's more about Getting those people back out there, you know, having you know, having something that people want to be there and feel comfortable in, you know. Yeah, uh, I, think,
1: you know I think your product is good. if You mm-hmm. have a good product, and it's comfortable, and uh, it's done with love. And and like, if you know, if if you're giving back, you know, this. Let me add this. I think for your views more than anything, you you always have to give back, you know. And, and mm-hmm. I'll use this an example. And I know it's shifting from from what we're talking about. A lot of a lot of operators, you know, they make a lot of money. And they just put, they just put that money away, and that re- and, and and the venue, you know, gets beat up, and no love gets put into it, and no uh, you know, money does not get, put, you know, get reinvested into the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that you know, you you need to always have a budget that you know that you're going to reinvest, so that the people when they come back, they see that you're, you know, you're thinking about them, giving them something new, new, new lights, new speakers, new decorations, a new patio. Right. Uh, you know, a new facade, but always, always updating and giving back.
0: Right, I guess
1: it's underrated. Let me tell you, <laughs> I think that is an underrated. That's an underrated formula. A uh, little, just
0: a hundred percent. I mean, I believe that people that don't do that and lower their marketing budget, basically, are saying, "I want to be around for a year, and that's it." Yeah. That's, right, that's yeah. why they die out. You know, that's the whole, that's the yeah. main reason.
1: A lot of people, yeah, they just want to put it on the pocket and they think they're being smart by not reinvesting. Right. But, mm-hmm. all right so I yeah. think I was going to
0: ask you one last question, but I think that's a, a, a good one to leave with. You know, I think that's a good tip uh, to end this. I, I don't know if there's anything else you want to say out there to, to people that are listening. Um, uh, I think there's a lot of, the, you know, that they no, will listen. learn. <laughs>
1: For your viewers, honestly, I think that you're doing a great job, and you've yeah. you, you've done an example of evolving within your sphere. You know, right. so you know you you know you really have, and you stuck to it, and I commend you. I've seen how you've had your three years. A lot of people start new projects, and there's no consistency. And you've been there, pa 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 year after year. You got your book, hammer, hammer away, hammer away, you're sticking to what you you know, sticking to your guns and to what you know. Right. And, you're, and now, and now you're giving it, and now you're giving back. And uh, so I commend you on that. And to your listeners, you know, you're coming to the right place to get your information Thank in this
0: you. industry. Thank you. Guys, again, you heard it. You heard it from him. <laughs> By the way, go get the book if you don't have it yet. The Nightlife Entrepreneur on Amazon. Um, Absolutely. Remember, you can follow me on Instagram at the Nightlife Entrepreneur, And you can find all the other episodes. You can find the courses. You can find a little bit of everything at nightlife.com university no.com just nightlife.university university. yeah
1: yeah i seen.
0: aurelio thank you so much thank you my brother and um, lot, i'll be seeing you around